Welcome to Beginner Women, a podcast where we throw out our adult agendas and focus on what it takes to shape a new future for girls and young women. From education and career to health and wealth, we talk to experts, thought leaders, and extraordinary women who will challenge the way you think about girls, women, and ambition. Here's your host, Katherine Cornfield. Welcome to Beginner Women. I'm Katherine Cornfield, founder of Ambitious, and that's Ambitious with a She, where we take a unique approach to leadership and career development. We've helped hundreds of girls and young women to develop autonomy, agency, and purpose by equipping them with the critical skills and knowledge they need to thrive today and in tomorrow's world. We started this podcast because we know how important everyday role models are, and we want to empower you, parents, educators, and other caring adults with smart, actionable strategies to help the beginner women in your lives reach their full potential. Thank you so much for joining us. I am thrilled to be joined today by Graham Donald. Graham is one of North America's leading experts on attracting, recruiting, and engaging students and graduates. He is the founder and president of Brainstorm Strategy Group, which is a research and consulting firm providing advice, guidance, and training to employers and educational institutions on how to attract, engage, and support the school-to-work transition of the next generation. Brainstorm works with all kinds of renowned companies like KPMG, PricewaterhouseCoopers, Deloitte, GE, and a whole host of post-secondary institutions across the country and beyond, including U of T, McGill, and UBC. He's a regular keynote speaker and chairs a number of high-profile conferences, including the Campus Recruiting Forums in cities across Canada and the U.S., the Canadian Career Development Summit, and the upcoming Future Workforce Conference. Graham is a firm believer in the value of general arts education and makes everyday use of the skills he developed pursuing a double major in English and Literary Studies at U of T. He also holds an MBA from the University of Toronto. So today we will be talking to Graham about his work and in particular some of the interesting research that Brainstorm has been doing around school to school and school to work transition, what's top of mind for students at graduation, and the value of experiential education. I'm really excited to have you here today, Graham. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. So you have been working at the intersection between school and work for most of your career. Tell us a little bit more about what drew you to this work in the first place and what has kept you so interested since then. It's a good question. I, um, it really was right from university, essentially. And, and I guess I had a little bit of entrepreneurial interest, but it was really a, a, a classmate of mine who... who initiated things and we worked together on starting our first business, which was third year university, I suppose. We started thinking about what a lot of students think about, which is what the heck am I going to do next? And I mean, I had an idea of going traveling uh, after university, but in terms of career, we wasn't sure. And so that ended up being our niche. We realized, hey, students are trying to figure out what to do with themselves and there's not uh, a lot of information reaching us. So we went out and decided we would uh, imagine ourselves as experts, and we created a guidebook for graduating students, which was a sort of a, a day planner for your final year of studies, which included information around key deadlines for grad school admissions or you know LSAT tests and things like mm. that, but also when companies were coming to recruit on campus and so on, and it had little profiles of career options, travel abroad, um, work study, um, volunteering, different things that you might be thinking about in grad schools, things you might be thinking about doing after you graduated. Back then, people used to have a, a day planner the students' union would give out in the first couple of years of studies. And we said, well, by last year, you need different information. So we partnered first at University of Toronto with our Career Centre, publishing it, and then it ended up being many, many different schools. And 
back when everything was paper-based, yep. that was a, a useful sort of guide for students that, uh, I remember. that initiated our relationships with university career centers and then employers who would advertise in our... Ah, okay. Fantastic. So from there? So from there, um, really, that sort of propelled itself into publishing as a, a, a career for a few years after university. Um, and then a nonprofit association which called Casey, which brings together employers and career centers um, came along and said, hey, you know, we need someone entrepreneurial and we're actually competing with you on our publication or advertising dollars. Let's merge the two. So they acquired what I was doing and I went and started working with them. And my business partner at this time had gone off to law school and that suited him. So, so yeah, so I was running a a nonprofit for several years and this really dates me, but anyway, with the first uh, days of internet came along and we started uh, uh, the first job board for students in Canada, which we later sold to Workopolis. So really, my whole career has been involved in that that space, as you said, yeah. between employers and the schools that are helping students move into work. And after Workopolis bought the job board, I spent a couple of years there. And then I, I, I decided to branch out with creating Brainstorm, which was really all about trying to provide well, really about trying to facilitate students' success moving from school to work, but without really directly working with the students. Interesting. It's it's like you've gone full circle around that juncture in, in time for, for young people. You've been in that role, but also carrying a little bit of that entrepreneurial spirit through it. When you talk about employers and educators, share with our audience what that actually means. Who are your clients and why? Why why do you work with them? Good, good point. And, and I mean, and really where part of this evolved from, too, uh, when I was running the association was there was no Canadian information for people to work with. It was all, well, this is what US, stu- U.S. students think and how they operate. Hopefully Canadians are similar. So part of the gestation of that the new business was to try and get Canadian data. So the client then, from an employer point of view, is really the, the people that are actually going out to career fairs, people that are actually interviewing students, the people mm-hmm. that are out there marketing their roles to students at universities and colleges or just through their websites and so on. But there's, you know, they're usually involved in partnering with schools to do their hiring. And, you know, to talk to a student about this, they're, they're baffled because they don't imagine that the employers have to try, <laughs> you know, have to put effort in and that if they do it well, they'll be more successful. They think, well, don't you just advertise? We go and, you know, clamor after these opportunities. But when employers are hiring, particularly the larger organizations, the, the banks and so on, the accounting firms and so on, they're, they're competing for, for the more talented students and they're trying to do a better job of it. And they know if they present themselves well and they speak about the things that are of interest to students, they'll be more likely to attract the right people. So, so right. that's about trying to get them the, the information they need to do that. And on the flip side with the, with the institutions? Yeah, so on the institutions, it's primarily people that work in career services. So every college and university across the country has pretty much every one of them has a career center. Many of them also have a co-op office where there are also what we would call career educators, people helping prepare students for their careers and finding everything from finding a job, but also to finding out what their interests are and and what is the best fit for them. Now there's more and more experiential education offices, work integrated learning offices, all of these. So those are all the people. And one thing that's been true, that is very true today and was true back when I was in school was an awful lot of students didn't even know there was a career center and really didn't know how great a lot of them were. Um, So parents listening right now might, say, oh, I wish there'd been a career center when I was in university. And there probably was one. Um, right. And just like today, a lot of students don't discover it till either their last year or even after they've graduated. And, you know, there's a big missed opportunity there. So right. with the career centers, a big part of my role has been helping them figure out how to market themselves to the students and draw them through the doors because students are thinking about their studies. They're not thinking about 
you know, how, how, what do I want to be when I grow up? So it's not really until that urgent day comes when they say, oh, I, I've got an interview <laughs> that they run through those doors. They help me prepare for the interview or I have nothing. Help me prepare a resume and how do I apply? And of course, it's to every student's advantage if they can start that process earlier. But uh, um, and those are the people that were. So with the advice and guidance you're giving both of those players in that event, you're, you're really hoping ultimately to facilitate a smoother transition for students. I heard you at the Casey uh, Association meeting. And for our listeners, that's the Canadian Association of Career Educators and Employers. I heard you earlier this spring and I heard about the research that you do at Brainstorm. I knew I had to, to know more. So tell us about the research. What is the Brainstorm report? What is the Student Career Interest Benchmark report? Frame up that research for us. Sure. So what we're doing is we're finding out the student's point of view of their career interests, uh, their aspirations, what their expectations are, you know, what they value in, in a prospective job. So the students were uh, surveying, and it's a very large survey. In 2018, it was about 14,000 mm-hmm. students responded. This year, we're about 24,000 students. So 24,000 students coast to coast. And it's a 20-minute survey or so. So they're, they're really devoting a lot of time. And um, on campuses, there's a lot of uh, competition to have surveys completed by students. There's a lot of interest there. This is just a topic that seems to be particularly important to them. So they, they give us their time, and they put a lot of thought into the responses. And it's students in all areas of study, students all levels of study, master's, PhD, and, and prim- primarily undergrad, but a lot of every, every group, college and university. And so the reason, I mean, normally a thousand students is plenty to survey to get a good idea of what's going on out there. The reason we have such a large sample is we want to be able to speak specifically about uh, engineering students, how they may see the world differently than, for instance, an art student or uh, students in certain diversity groups or male versus female, so that organizations... Uh, both the employer who trying mm-hmm. to attract the students and, and the schools trying to serve students will know all they can know to best connect and support their students. Um, so students are literally going into this and actually reviewing their career center and giving feedback about what services they've used and, and what they would like more of. So it's all about, about trying to better understand the student's perspective. Mm. And then we do it annually. So each year we will put in some different things. Uh, so for instance, this year, we're anxiously awaiting the results to see and learn more about what students find as sources of stress. You know, we, mental health is a big issue on campuses these days. So where is the stress coming from? And uh, and part of what we're trying to put forward to help post-secondary institutions understand is that career, well, everything from a substance, you know, part-time job while I'm in school to a summer job to a career, those are all big issues, big concerns for most students. And the more support they can get the more they can sit back and, and pay attention to their studies. You know, if you're really wondering, how am I going to pay for all this? Right. <laughs> it's very hard yeah. to succeed in school. So let's uh, let's let's dive in there then, because I think that, first of all, you've set up the research beautifully. It, it is a very large sample, and it must be very rich data. And you shared only, I'm sure, just the tip of the iceberg. You're really in the minds of students. So let's get into that headspace. What is top of mind as they begin to approach graduation, what are they thinking about? What gets them sort of jazzed and excited? And like you said, what is really uh, stressing them out as they approach that really critical juncture? I mean, I think it's it's important to understand that it is very prominent in their minds. And, and it really is coming in as far as we can tell, just looking at the early data on that particular question around stressors is, you know, final papers and final exams are top of the list. Sure. Um but somewhere around level number two, three, and four are things like summer job and what career am I going to get? And um, 
you know, we thought, I thought things like social media, relationships, parental expectations, those kinds of pressures might come higher on the list, but finding work is above all of those things. And as I say, you know, institutions don't sometimes grasp this, at least at the most senior level to say, to think they worry a lot about student success. They worry a lot about, will the students graduate? Will they finish their program? Will they transfer out of our school? We want to keep them here. We want them to succeed. And they don't always see the correlation that if we can give them peace of mind, confidence, you know, that this will lead to work, um, then they can sit back and focus on their studies. I'm a firm believer that if a student is thinking about just making a couple of the right steps in each year of their studies, they are guaranteed great opportunities when they graduate. They really are. I mean, you know, the data shows, and, and this is, um, I don't know if you're familiar, but University of Virginia has a job guarantee. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, and yeah, so where their job guarantees come from is you can sign up for the guarantee. And in signing up for the guarantee, you're signing up to do one or two things each year through your studies, which might be a co-op, but it might be as simple as a series of workshops, huh. or it might be some self-assessment tools. As long as you do those, uh, if you aren't finding a job within six months, they'll give you another year of studies for free. No kidding. Um, and, and it's simply because they know they don't really ever have to deliver on that promise because you will find an opportunity because you're going to be a step ahead. Interesting. Interesting. So so I, I definitely want to come back to that because I think that, well, first of all, when you talk about that list of student stressors and, and what's at the top, which is obviously what is immediately in front of them, I got to pass my exams or whatever. And then it goes right into hardcore hierarchy of needs, work, money, like they, they really are preoccupied with with making that transition without sort of have, having to end up back in, in, in mom and dad's basement and being able to take what they've learned and apply it in, in the workforce. So it's the, sort of the, the adulting aspects of, of uh, I guess, the, it's a, a growing up. And, and the other thing that struck me, and I do remember the list, I'm actually looking at it right now from your preliminary survey, um, uh, finances was, uh, was number two. Is that, is that emerging? Is that new? I'm on this particular question. This is new for us. So, and you're right, finances are, are big. And I think it's, uh, and, and very much, it's very much tied to, you know, finances, job, career, these are all, all correlated. And um, so it is new and people haven't been really studying this, you know, in, in great detail, I think in the past, but I think it's, it's probably been there for some time. Um, and, and, and to me, the real, the real, the heartbreak for me is to have us to be talking to a student who's thinking they should switch out of mm -hmm. sociology or something into what they see as more career-related, in, in air quotes, you know, engineering or business or something like that, because that will get them a job. And the reality is that art students have always gotten mm. jobs and they right. continue to get jobs. And it's just this. The biggest part is this difference between. I study history. I don't necessarily become a historian, um, right? But I study history and I'm absolutely preparing myself for thousands of jobs I've never even heard of before, many of which I could be quite passionate about and will be of great interest to me, but right. I just don't know about them yet. Whereas study engineering, I become an engineer. Okay, that's pretty clear and obvious. And, I, and it, it's heartbreaking to see students, you know, fear to be fearful and they don't need to be fearful. They need to make sure they're getting some decent summer jobs and part-time jobs to build some experience mm -hmm. and some qualifications. That's what they need to do. Fear isn't helping them at all. <laughs> There's some practical steps that can, that can complement their studies so well. As you said, the idea that it's not just uh, the academic work within that post-secondary experience that matters once you leave, it, especially to employers, right? It's also the experiences uh, formal and informal outside of the classroom 
that uh, that really make uh, the big difference, regardless of what the subject area is or or field that you're studying. You know, obviously, the the University of Regina has taken that approach for a reason. You work with employers. Is that is that the stuff they look for? In a dream world, an employer would be hiring somebody with experience, <laughs> but mm-hmm. at the pay level of a student, right? right? So, and and there's a lot of other great strengths to hiring a student. They they know they're going to bring in some fresh thinking. They know there's going to be they, there could be high energy if they select the right people. Um, some things that are real benefits coming from someone who's fresh out of school, and also someone who may have studied something very relevant to what that organization needs. Um, but but they would also still like the they still would like to be able to know that you know how to work as a student, that you know that a student knows how to put in, you know, long hours or how to do things that are dull sometimes and more interesting at another time. So how do they get that yeah. as an employer, but also how do they know how you will perform? And the, the questions they're going to ask you and they want to ask a student are going to go to those experiences you've had so far. So when you had this summer job, you know, what sort of responsibilities did you have? Give me an example of when you were under stress and what did you do as a result? But without any work experience, you you can't tell me that story. You don't have the examples to bring to me to give me confidence as someone who wants to hire you that you have the maturity or the uh, calm, collected thinking or whatever it might be that I'm looking for in asking, you know, asking the job candidate about those things. Do you think that that message, not so much about the summer job or the work experience, but about the extracurricular or experiential learning like co-op and work integrated learning or even, like I said, the extracurriculars, does that message get through to students? And where do students get their messages from? First of all, yes, employers are looking for all these pieces. And employers didn't used to look at your work experience as much as your extracurricular. They really want to know if you're captain of a team or in a student club or whatever, those other pieces. And if you're balancing that with doing well in school and what often doesn't occur to to most students is actually having a job and those responsibilities tends to actually improve your your academic performance too. Um, Mm. You know, unless you're in that situation where you're actually working full-time and in school full-time because you need every penny because you are supporting yourself, then that, sure, that can be harder to do well in school because that's a big conflict. But those part-time jobs and those hobbies and things tend to, um, you know, make a busy person busier and more productive and more effective. So from the employer view, they're looking at all that. Now they're, now they're really expecting students to be graduating with some really good work experiences along the way that they can tap into. So, but from the student point of view, to your question, um, I believe very strongly that students learn in Canada anyway, high school is a time for, and particularly grade 12, is a time for high grades. Well, actually grade 11 and mm-hmm. 12. High grades to get into post-secondary. And that often means don't worry about your extracurriculars anymore. And, and, and I heard that exactly that message with my two daughters, one who's halfway through university now, one who just graduated, <laughs> you know, just to go from, mm-hmm. I guess, the research to an anecdote, you know, that was the message, get, get high grades. That's what gets you to post-secondary. Most school post-secondaries are not looking at anything other than your grades, maybe a short essay. So that's the, that's the learning they're taking with them into post-secondary. And there's nobody standing at the door saying, we need to reprogram this and tell you that it's about a lot more than just your academics. Um, and in fact, to a large degree, it's reinforced at the post-secondary level because they're saying, you know, you have this thing called an academic transcript and that's the be all and end all. It determines whether you get your major, whether you get to graduate and all that. So it, it reinforces this idea. And as you're aware, a number of schools are now 
putting out something called a co-curricular record or a co-curricular transcript, which is tracking everything else you do that you learn, you are learning from that is not uh, in the classroom necessarily. Because mm, they, they're yeah. trying to figure out, well, we know we can't put it on the transcript. That's just not going to fly with the, the academic powers that be at institutions. But we do want to tell students that this is these things are important. And we hope that they can carry it with them to employers potentially and say, you know, here's what I've done. Um, regardless of whether there's such a thing as this, as this co-curricular record, though, the, the, the important learning from that is that these are the other parts that will distinguish a student. Um, and it's not just about getting credentials, which maybe that's driving a good behavior or helpful behavior that they're after these credentials. It's really about saying you need these experiences to learn who you are, to learn what your passions are, to learn what the world has to offer you, you know, to learn what kind of opportunities are out there. And, uh, um, and that's where we really need to help students in understanding that, you know, day one at school isn't just about what's going on in class. It's everything else that's going around it. This is a turn time to grow. And learn it all in many ways. But they're starting to get that message more and more. Um, and the co-curricular uh, record might be helping and so long as they know about it at the Career Service Center. That's a separate issue. Um, and, you know, initiatives like the one that I just heard about today at the University of Regina starts to reinforce that. I really, really like the analogy you used about sort of there's no one standing at the door on the way in um, because, you know, post-secondary colleges and universities are big places, even the small ones for, for, for young students. Anyway, they're, they're big bureaucracies. There's all kinds of dynamics there. And, uh, you know, they don't know what they don't know the students. Yeah. I think about my own daughter taking advice on, on what, uh, what to take in grade 11. There was a lot of it coming from her grade 10 friends. I don't know what qualified them, but it was likely, um, coming from her grade 10 friends, parents too. Right. So I guess my, my question is where, where are they getting it? Like, where does that, where does that uh, guidance come from? Yeah, no, it's a good point. And, 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 and I like your point that what qualified the friends, I'm not sure. So we do ask students for, um, to learn about who's influencing the decisions. And particularly, we, we pose it as in, in your career choice process, you know, which, is, which of these are the most influential on in your decision making? And parents top a list every time and by a lot, by you know, almost double what the next group on that list will be, which will be things like friends or acquaintances working in organizations or online resources or girlfriends. And, you know, way down with all those people tends to be professors um, whom others, you know, parents might perceive as being more influential than that, but they're not. Um, And then further down are career center staff. Um, Yeah. uh, Now, one of the reasons career center staff are further down the list is only half the students have ever met the career center staff. Whereas exactly, pretty much all yeah. of them have met parents before. So, so, <laughs> so that's a big part of it. You know, if we were to ask who's most influential when you choose between two opportunities you've been offered, well, then maybe a career center would come higher because I might walk through their door because I mm-hmm. got the job posting from them and say, can you help me understand these two companies better? But point being, parents are highly influential here, whether they know it or not, whether they like it or not whether their intent <laughs> or perhaps their intended influence is, is the one they're that's coming out the other side is, is, is a big question mark to me. Um, I should throw, put a quick note in there. There's a distinguishing factor between university students and college students on this one. At colleges, uh, although parents are still clearly the most influential, professors are not far behind them. So at colleges, hmm. students are meeting professors who are often hmm. you know, 
closely related or active in industry and in the career area that the student may want to work in, um, you know, particularly in those programs that are very applied in their nature and directly related to a particular job area. So, so professors do right. focus there. Well, that makes sense. But I think as parents, it's very, it's very tricky to know, you know, what influence you're having. And, and, and I'm, as you know, different kids have different characters and some uh, are real pleasers and aim to please and maybe absolutely talking and pursuing a career of interest that may be their parents' interest much more than their own. It's hard to get a, a, a child who's very interested in, in, in pleasing and accommodating to go off and follow their own passion when they think they're hearing strongly strong ideas from their parents that this is an appropriate area. Um, there's the kids at the other end of the spectrum who will absolutely go the opposite direction because of that, <laughs> because their parents said you should be a lawyer. They're going to go the exact opposite direction. Um, right. But I think it's helpful as a parent. They, to they be know conscious. their own minds. Yeah. For a parent to be conscious of this and be conscious of the influence and say, okay, what balance am I being balanced in my approach? Am I making sure that this is what they want to do? I think is really important. Well, it strikes me too that because uh, I'm actually looking at your uh, at your stats right now on my computer screen, and parents are like you said, double uh, at the top. The very next thing, which are friends, and then way down the list are the are the career center advisors. Um, so, yeah. but that's interesting to me because the, the the issue for parents, because you know they're listening, is the is is finding that balance between sort of really hoping, you know, without too much fear, but hoping that your child is going to find their path to purpose and is going to find meaningful work and is going to be able to so, sort of be economically independent, and support themselves. It seems to me that there's almost like a, a like a referral that could that could occur with parents to say, you know, guess what? On the way in, on, there's no one standing at the door at the school, but heads up, there are experts on campus. That uh, both uh, your professors uh, and, but more importantly, your career your career center advisors, who's th- that's their work, that's their expertise. They are there to help and guide you. Um, don't don't wait till the the very last minute. Um, you know, knock on their door on the way in and go and find that help. And uh, it seems to me that, that that parents could. That's a really tangible takeaway for parents is to say, you know what, uh, there's a I'm trying to balance the best I can, but there's also a limit to my expertise, right? Um, I'm not as dialed Absolutely. into the labor yeah. market. Yeah. I I don't read the, the you know the daily stats uh, from StatsCan on what wh- where the shortages are in the labor market. I think I know, but really my my advice is based on you know, 20 years ago when I was looking for a job, which is a completely different universe, right? Um, so there could yeah. be there yeah. could be a really uh, easy handoff there, given the extent to which parents are influential, even if they don't believe it, because uh, you know the parents of teenagers often wonder if if anyone's home, right? <laughs> listening, um, uh, but but it, they're obviously listening. Uh, so yeah, that that handoff could be very 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 beneficial. I think uh, one of the recent stats that you that you sent out, or maybe it was in your presentation, I can't quite recall, that 85% of students have responded that they agree or strongly agree that having a goal motivates them, right? A, a career goal. What do you, what can you tell us more in general about what uh, the career goals are? I would make a note that one, one gender difference we have noticed is that uh, female students are more likely to be doing part-time work or, or while they're mm. in their studies. Yeah. And that's, that's an asset. That's a big asset. And I think it's really important for parents. I mean, I know as a, some parents feel they can afford the whole bill and the student, their kids don't need to have a job. Um, and others may absolutely require that their kids have jobs to help support themselves. It, it, it's really important to know that that work experience is, is, is a critical part of your child's development. Yes. So yeah. it isn't just here, about here. them earning an income 
uh, you know, that income is certainly going to help them, you know, develop their financial literacy as well and, and realize the value of what they're doing. Um, back to your question about career goals, though. Um, you know, the predominant career goal that we've been monitoring with students for, boy, 10, 15, 12, 15 years, it comes to top of the list pretty consistently is balancing work life with personal life. Hmm. And this is something that was immediately interpreted when we first started talking about this in sort of 2005 as, oh, these millennials are lazy. Ah, <laughs> and it was a complete misinterpretation of that, complete misinterpretation. Um, we very quickly set out to figure out, well, what do they mean by balancing work and life? Because it doesn't add up um, that that generation of millennials or Gen Z now are in any way lazy. Um, they are more programmed yeah, <laughs> than yeah. their parents. They have more things they're involved with. They have more volunteering, more arts, music, you know, hobbies, they're on not lazy. and on and on. They're not lazy. Yeah. So bouncing work life and personal life, we realized that that can't mean lazy. It's not about being entitled and you know, expecting things to be handed out to you. Um, and what it's probably about, the number one thing far above everything else is flexibility. And if an employer wants to deliver a sense of work-life balance, it's giving them flexibility in their schedule so that if they have a 5 p.m. every Wednesday responsibility because they're chairing some youth initiative <laughs> to feed the poor, let them leave by 5 o'clock to get right. to do that because yeah. that's their life. That's what's important to them. That's what they value. And that's you know a characteristic of a good job is one that will let me do the things that I'm passionate about. So, so that's a big part of that flexibility. The other part of flexibility is flexibility makes sense. Um, and I, I think younger people are getting less and less tolerant of things that don't make sense in the workplace. For instance, all people getting to work at 8.30 a.m. Right. in the same rush hour, in the same crowd, <laughs> to not actually talk to yeah. anyone until 11.30 a.m. <laughs> yeah. you know, why would we do that if we're not going to have our meeting till then? Why wouldn't I come? I'll come in at 6 a.m. some days. I'll come at 10 a.m. Interesting. Some days. You know, yeah. Trust me to do my job well and be flexible. Um, I think more and more young people are intolerant of those things that don't really make sense. And quite frankly, all of their elder peers feel the exact same way. <laughs> they just haven't necessarily spoken with their feet. They're not at that juncture in their lives, right? They've got mortgages and kids and, you know, university bills. But but young people do. They can speak with their feet, as you say. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, at the same time, they're not trying as hard to get that fancy BMW or anything else. They're just not as interested in pursuing some of those material things. So it's just it's you know, they have a more balanced approach. And maybe it's because as parents, we they saw parts of our jobs that we disliked and we liked, and they said, well, I'm not going to be a slave to that, right. um, whatever the reasons are. But um, so that's that's the really, that's the, the, the thing that comes top of the list. But right after that, and the thing that also surprises people, I think, is this desire to achieve secure employment. Job security comes very high on the list, no matter who I'm asking, what, how I'm slicing and dicing, whatever area of study, whether business students or art mm -hmm. students, there's this perception that work is, it can be insecure, that it can be fickle, um, employers can be fickle, and that I need to, to that, that that's very important to me. Perhaps it's because they've seen family members lose jobs. Um, perhaps it's just because, well, they're, they're wise, because this is wise thinking. Um, and yet, and the reason this this may not surprise parents, but the reason it surprises employers to hear it is because they find that the young people they hire leave within a year or two or three quite regularly, and it can be hard to keep them. 
and they perceive them as not really caring about job security. But what we really come to understand is that's actually them staying ahead of the things of things. That's them getting to the next job before you can let them go, before they can worry about job security, before the you know the, the, the things go sideways. They're going to stay ahead of it, and in fact, they're seizing control of their career by saying, okay, I got my two years experience here. This was interesting. I learned everything you've got. You're not advancing me quickly enough. I'm going to go over there now and, and learn something else at this other company. Hmm. So, so it's really, it's really, they're very highly conscious and intentional about that early career establishment. They're, they're establishing their early career, I guess, is, is that they're, they're working very deliberately, it seems, to get grounded financially and professionally. Well, that was one thing that really struck me when I was uh, listening to you talk at Casey was that way further down the list are all the stuff that, that I'm talking about with Ambitious, like becoming a leader, uh, being recognized as an expert, running their own business, all the stuff that, that, uh, that I'm really uh, sharing and teaching with girls and young women on the premise, frankly, that uh, this juncture is a time not for them to start doing that, but to start thinking about that for the next phase of their career and beyond, right? So almost like planting seeds at this juncture. So that's sort of the underlying premise of what I'm doing with Ambitious is, is let's give them the information, let's set the context, let's give them a few tools and just plant the seeds without any pressure or expectation that they start their own business right out of school. Yeah. No, I think it's I think it's a, a, a great idea to be planting the seed. And I think also there will always be certain students who this is the time to start right away. I remember years ago presenting to students on the topic of, hey, while you're in school is a great time to start a business because you're not dependent on a big income. You're prepared to sleep on a couch. <laughs> you, know, you don't need, you know, a lot of this risk is not really going to hurt you. Um, so it's a great time. But if you're not, if that's not in your your wheelhouse, you know, if it's not your character to do that, then that's, that's a different story. So it's, it's, yeah, maybe you're doing what an awful lot of students I think are doing, which is, I want to go build some experience first. I want to know how the world works first. I'm, you know, some people fly into entrepreneurism, you know, blindly and it works and it's great. And if they'd known better, they would never would have done it. (laughs) Others know their limitations and really aren't comfortable without having done their research. And that often means mm-hmm. I want to go work for somewhere else for two or three years uh, or one year or six years and really get to know things and know how to work with people. And then I'm going to take those ideas and start my own business. I think that that, uh, that whole idea of entrepreneurship is something that, uh, you know, is embedded in the work that I do, but it's not the expectation. That's not the outcome or the goal that, that I'm, I'm not sort of in the business of trying to create a whole new generation of mini tycoons, right? Um, I think those skills are transferable. Uh, the knowledge is valid in the workplace, right? So, so the other preoccupation uh, that I have, and I know you and I have talked about, is this whole idea of um, sort of closing the gender gap in leadership. And so what is so interesting to me about this, this inverted bar chart that I'm looking at, but our listeners aren't, maybe we could share it with them, uh, is the idea that they're very much, uh, males and females, uh, preoccupied with establishing and, like I said, setting the groundwork for the future. Um, and they're doing that based on the subject area or, or the first or second or third job. Uh, and then the, the young women are, you know, doing what young women do, which is moving into that phase of life where, where they're stepping back a little bit because they are having children or whatever. And uh, the gap 
starts to widen in in terms of leadership. That is really why for me and for the work that I do at Ambitious, planting that seed early, sort of just setting the context to say, you know, let's take a little bit of a medium to long term view on your career. You're looking right now at what's in front of you and you do need to establish. But just keep a a parallel eye. Keep your eyes to the to, and your ears to the ground and and be looking for those opportunities like like you could be in school at the University of Regina to learning those things outside of the job to build your leadership skills, to build your network, to build um, to build your financial and strategic acumen. Just in listening to you talk, the thing that's striking me over our overarching theme in trying to deal with financial literacy, career literacy, any of these things is really all about independence. It's about really yep. trying to help people become independent, and that is being a leader of yourself, and um, and that is critically important. And that's what we know is just becoming more and more important as the workplace evolves. Yeah. We started out talking about what's inside the minds of students and what you're learning in your research. Just as a way of sort of winding down and, and, and wrapping up this conversation, there's a few really big takeaways that I think uh, we can offer parents already around sort of don't forget to the, the limits of your own expertise and don't be afraid to refer. Um, but what Sort of as a final thought from you, um, this idea of sort of instilling a sense of uh, personal responsibility, of aiming for independence, of, of sort of leading uh, yourself. Where are students going to, where are they going to get that? Oh, it's a good question. I mean, I, I'm very conscious as you talk. I've got a, a sign across the for, my forehead that says guilty, and that's guilty of being a helicopter parent. Uh, even uh, while studying helicopter parents and being yeah. aware of helicopter parents, probably <laughs> most people listening are, if they get honest with themselves, are you know more doting on their kids than their parents were on them. Right. And we are doing our kids a big disservice. It's all you know. We, me, I have to admit, <laughs> all mm-hmm. the times I didn't let them fail, all the times I didn't let them, you know, struggle a little more. I've taken away their opportunity to learn independence, mm. and um, I'm fortunate in that my kids left town to go to university because I'm mm-hmm. not sure I would have <laughs> given them enough independence otherwise. Right. Um, so I think that's something we, we have to be very conscious of that, uh, you know, yes, the world is a, a trickier place, I think, now than it was for us. But at the same time, um, we have to let them grow and learn. The sooner that they can start with building experiences, um, you know, that, that's just a huge gift. We, can, we can't wait till post-secondary is over. That's a great way to end. I think the idea, like you, you just said, you can't you can't wait until post secondary is over, right? So I my work goes all the way into and back to to middle school, working with middle school girls, and I think uh, the best analogy that that I can use to frame what what you've just said, and this is something that I actually tell my daughter frequently because it depends on the day, um, and that is that you know it's my role as a parent to walk behind you. And, and help you along your way. And I will be beside you when you need me. And I will only be in front of you when you deserve it, when, when you need to hear something that, uh, that might be hard to hear. And, and I think that if parents were to think about the girls and young women in their lives as beginner women and celebrate that beginner status and that beginner mind and look at the ways in which they can stand behind and support young women in their lives to, to find their own path. That's great. That's a great way to uh, to end. So thank you very much. Thank you to all of our listeners for joining us and uh, to Graham for sharing your insight and expertise and uh, the details of your very interesting and rich research. Thanks for your interest. 
Ambitious is a social purpose venture taking direct aim at the gender gap in leadership by providing leading edge training programs focused on the economic empowerment, leadership development, and career advancement of girls and young women. We are currently developing a network of like-minded partner organizations to deliver our proprietary startup self sessions, which combine financial, digital, and civic literacy in a simulated entrepreneurial experience. Suitable for girls and young women aged 13 and up, the Startup Self Sessions are empowering a new generation of beginner women to become whoever and whatever they want to be. Qualified delivery partners are provided comprehensive training, licensed curriculum, a full suite of program materials, and access to an online community of practice. Focused on real-life learning, ambitious programs are equipping a new generation of entrepreneurs, leaders, and decision-makers with the critical skills and knowledge they need to thrive today and in tomorrow's world. If you are a like-minded organization interested in joining our next cohort of delivery partners, let's talk. Visit ambitious.ca for more information and to get in touch. Thank you to our listeners for joining us on Beginner Women, a show where we throw out our adult agendas to shape a new future for girls. Check out our show notes for the resources we talked about in today's episode and for the actionable insights you can use to nurture and empower the girls you know. If you like what you hear on our show, write us a review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to subscribe wherever you find your favorite shows. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Ambitious. That's A-M-B-I-S-H-E-O-U-S. 